Preface and Introduction of Gallipoli Diary. This is the LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sue Anderson. Gallipoli Diary by John Graham Gillum. Preface and Introduction. Preface. In the kind and courteous letter which you will read on page 15, General Sir Aylmer Hunter Weston says that it is not possible for him to write a preface to this book. That is my own and the reader's great loss, for General Hunter Weston, as is well known, commanded the 29th Division at the landing on the Gallipoli Peninsula on April 25, 1915, and during those early months of desperate fighting, until, to the universal regret of all who served under him, he became one of the victims of the sickness that began to ravage our ranks. And as one of the chief players of the great game that was there enacted, his comments would have been of supreme interest, and would have added immeasurably to such small value as there may be in this diary of one of the pawns in that same game. But since the player cannot, the pawn may perhaps be allowed to say a few words by way of comment on and explanation of the following pages. Towards the completion of the mobilization of the 29th Division in the Leamington area in early 1915, I heard secretly that the division was bound for the Dardanelles at an early date, instead of for France as we had at first expected. By this I knew that in all probability the division was destined to play a most romantic part in the Great War. I had visions of trekking up the Gallipoli Peninsula with the Navy bombarding away for us up the Straits and along the coastline of the Sea of Marmora, until, after a brief campaign, we entered triumphantly Constantinople, there to meet the Russian army, which would link up with ourselves to form part of a great chain encircling and throttling the Central Empires. I sailed from England on March 20, 1915, firmly convinced that my vision would actually come true, and that sometime in 1915 the paper boys would be singing out in the streets of London, Fall of Constantinople, British link hands with the Russians. And I am sure that all who knew the secret of our destination were as firmly convinced as I was that we should meet with complete success we little appreciated the difficulties of our task. For these reasons, and perhaps because the very names, Gallipoli, Dardanelles, Constantinople, sounded so romantic and full of adventure, I determined to revive an old, if egotistic, hobby of mine, the keeping of a diary. Throughout the Gallipoli campaign, therefore, almost religiously every day, and with very few exceptions, I recorded, as I have done in the past, the daily happenings of my life and the impressions such happenings made on me and the thoughts that they created. The diary was written by me to myself, as most diaries are, to be read possibly by myself and my nearest relations after the war, but with no thought of publication. But when the division was in Egypt after the evacuation, and just prior to its embarking for France, a supply officer joined us, whom I had met and talked to on the peninsula, as one meets hundreds of men without knowing or caring to know anything more about them than that they are trying to do their job 
as one tries to do one's own. His name is Lancelot Cayley Shadwell, and we became firm friends. We talked often of Gallipoli, and one day in France I showed him my diary. He read it and then told me I should try to get it published. I laughed at the idea, but he assured me that these first-hand impressions might interest a wider circle than that for which they were primarily intended, but that beforehand the diary should be pruned and edited, for of course there was much in it that was too personal to be of interest to anybody but myself. I asked him if he would edit it for me. He consented and very kindly undertook the necessary blue penciling, and in addition to his labor of excision, was good enough to insert a few passages describing, so far as words can, the exquisite loveliness of the peninsula. For these, which far surpass the powers of my own pen, I am deeply indebted to him. They will be found under dates May 2nd, Moonlight at Hellas, May 13th, the sensations one experiences when a shell is addressed to you, May 26th, Moonlight Scenes, May 30th, Coloring of Imbros, July 15th, Alexandria, September 16th and 17th, The Bathing Cove. I am also indebted to the kindness of Captain Joslyn Bray, the Assistant Provost Marshal of the 29th Division on the Peninsula, for many excellent photographs. The diary next had to be submitted to the censor, who naturally refused to pass it until the Dardanelles Commission had finished its sittings, and it was nearly a year before it came back into my hands, passed for publication, but with a few further blue pencilings, this time not personal but official, and in this form, hastily scribbled by me from day to day, with a stumpy, indelible pencil, on odd sheets of paper, pruned, edited, and improved by Shadwell, and extra edited, if not notably improved, by the censor, my diary is now presented for the consideration of an all-indulgent public. Enough has been said to show, if internal evidence did not shout it aloud, that my diary has no literary pretensions whatsoever. I am no John Massfield, and do not seek to compete with my betters. Those who desire to survey the whole amazing Gallipoli campaign in perspective must look elsewhere than in these pages. Their sole object was to record the personal impressions, feeling, and doings from day to day of one supply officer to a division whose gallantry in that campaign well earned for it the epithet immortal. If in spite of its many deficiencies my diary should succeed in interesting the reader, and if in particular I have been able to place in the proper light the services of that indispensable but underrated arm, the Army Service Corps, I am more than content. I have now seen the Army Service Corps at work in England, Egypt, France, and Flanders, as well as in Gallipoli, and the result is always just the same. Tommy is hungry three times a day without distinction of place, and without distinction of place three times a day, as regularly as the sun rises and sets, food is forthcoming for him, food in abundance with no cues or meat cards. The Army Service Corps must never fail, and it never does fail, for its organization is one of the most brilliant the Army knows. But few other than those in the Army Service Corps itself, or on the staffs of armies, can appreciate its vastness and its infallibility. 
To do so, one should watch the supply ships dodging the enemy submarines and arriving at the bases, the supply hangars at the base supply depots receiving and disgorging the supplies to the pack trains, the arrival of the trains at the regulating stations on the lines of communication, whence they are dispatched to the railheads just behind the line, the staff of the deputy directors of supplies and transport of armies at work, following carefully the movements of formations and the rise and fall of strengths, to ensure that not only shall sufficient food arrive regularly each day at the railheads, but that there shall be no surpluses to choke the railheads. It is hardly less important that there should not be too much than that there should not be too little. The slightest miscalculation may easily lead to chaos, to the blocking of trains carrying wounded back and ammunition forward, or the deprivation of a few thousand men of their food at a critical moment. One should watch the arrival of the supply pack trains at the railheads, where the supply columns of motor lorries or the divisional trains of horse transport unload the pack trains and load their vehicles regularly each day at scheduled times, under all conditions, even those caused by a 14-inch enemy shell bursting at intervals of five minutes in the railhead yard causing all and sundry to get to cover except the Army Service Corps, who must never fail to clear the train at the scheduled time. One should watch the divisional train headquarters at work, following its division and arranging for the daily correct distribution and the delivery of the rations to units. Often horse transport, by careful managing on the part of train headquarters, is released for other duties than those of drawing and delivering supplies to units. Then one may watch the Army Service Corps driver delivering Royal Engineer material, etc., to the line, along roads swept by high-explosive shell and shrapnel and machine guns, where all but the Army Service Corps driver can get to ground, while he must stand by his horses and get cover for them and himself as best he can. Then, although one has only seen the skeleton framework of this vast service, and has had no opportunity to go into the technicalities of the system or to investigate the many safety valves of base supply depots, field supply depots, reserve parks, and emergency ration dumps in the line, all of which are ready to come to the rescue should a pack train be blown up or a convoy scuppered, nor to study the wonderfully efficient organization of transport, covering mechanical transport, horse transport, Foden lorries and tractors, which ply from the base to the line, carrying as well as supplies, ammunition, Royal Engineer material, and every imaginable necessity of war, and moving heavy guns in and out of position, at times under the very noses of the enemy. Yet one cannot fail to have gained a great respect for that vast and wonderfully silent organization, the Army Service Corps. J. G. G. France, May 1918. End of preface. Introduction. Letter from Lieutenant General Sir Almer Hunter Weston, Knight Commander, Most Honorable Military Order of the Bath, Companion of the Bath, Distinguished Service Order, Member of Parliament, Deputy Lieutenant, 
who commanded the division at the landing April 25, 1915. Dear Gillum, the diary of a man who, like yourself, took part in the historic landing at Gallipoli and was present on the peninsula during the subsequent fighting will, I know, be of interest to many besides myself. There are but few of us who, in those strenuous days, were able to keep diaries, and even fewer were those who had the gift of making of their daily entries a narrative that would be of interest to others. I should like to have time to write a preface for this book of yours, giving the salient points of our great adventure, and the effect it had both on us and on the enemy. I should also like to have shown the influence that you and the Army Service Corps generally had on our operations, by the successful manner in which you were able to keep the troops fed and supplied under circumstances of apparently insuperable difficulty. But being, as I am, in command of a big Army Corps on one of the most difficult parts of the front, it is impossible for me to find any time for writing such a preface. I can but wish your book the greatest success, and hope that it will be widely read. Yours sincerely, Aylmer Hunter Weston. Headquarters, 8th Corps, British Expeditionary Force, February 18, 1918. End of Introduction